Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Hi, Mary, how you doing? We recording? Love you, don't swear. Okay, here we go, nobody swear. We're on the, we're live or recording or something. Heavenly Father, you sent your son to sinful men like us. You put the grievous burden of our sins upon him and then put him upon the cross that we might know the glory of your holy love. Grant us faith not to be shaken by the things that challenge us or daunted by the threats that come to us, but ever to follow steadfastly in the way that leads to perfect communion with him and so with you, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, good job. Good to see you. The kids are great this morning. Thanks for making the effort. I know it's like getting them up for school an extra day, but that was very, very nice. Uh, put some money in the basket. We'll give it to pads. So we've got a regular group of pads guys coming in, a dozen people or so every Tuesday. And the vicar's been kind of taking care of them, so that's been very nice. They come to the Eucharist on Tuesday mornings and sometimes a few of them on Thursday, so that's kind of fun. Uh, let's see. You should sign up for the women's retreat. Are you going to say something about that? You're actually going to have people sign up. Good. Go. Nice. So um, if you want to stay overnight, we'd love to have you. They're asking me for the reservations now so that I can get people confirmation numbers. Um, it's extra fun. You get to stay a, lot, a little longer, visit a little longer, chit-chat, get up in the morning and see you breakfast. Um, but we love to have you guys. Breakfast the next day is for everybody, though. Whoever shows up, they'll be... So there's dinner on Friday. Dinner on Friday. Breakfast on Saturday, whether you stay or not. Yes, And speakers on both nights. And you can come one, both. However it works out for you. If you need anything special as far as, you know, whatever, let me know and I can make sure that we're... The date is? The date is the 28th and 29th of April. The date is so there's already 50 people signed up. Congratulations. Women are way better than men. Congratulations on that for telling us what we already knew. That was a pleasure. Thank you very much. So, um, you know, but you got to press a little bit because I think the men had over 100 this year, which is our new world record. So that was very, very nice. Okay, questions about anything? You got anything going on we should talk about? Um, otherwise, just kind of keep going. All right. Chicken and mashed potatoes. Is this like fried chicken and mashed potatoes? All kinds of chicken. You know, what's it like to be married to you? It must be, I mean, Craig, if you see him, he is the luckiest man. I got this, I got that, I got whatever you might need. It's all going to be warm and on time. Because, man, I mean, your wife is great. I know. All right, here we go. Questions about anything? So what can happen with the creed is you make this really beautiful thing really complicated. But you should see it as your friends who are trying to think about how to talk about Jesus. And it takes some time, in this case a couple of centuries, so a few hundred years, to work out how we should talk about Jesus. It's difficult. We did uh, last week that Jesus is sort of a one-off, right? So um, he's one person, and it's always the one person, Jesus Christ, right? So he's this one person, but he's got, these, he's got two natures. That makes him unique. He's got a human nature and a divine nature, and they both talk to each other, and then they also uh, talk to the person. So... Then you can, you know, you get, you're able to say crazy things like, this always really bothered my mother. 
that I said God has a mother. You'd think as a mother she'd be simpatico here, but no, the whole notion of theotokos, right? That Mary is the mother of God, that, that, that God has a mother, sometimes makes people crazy. But of course, um, you say everything you can say about him. According to his human nature, he of course has a mother. According to his divine nature, he has a father. And so you think about it in that way. Um, you can, this is how, you know, you know, in Acts, the famous phrase where it says, you know, you killed God. And you're like, you killed God? How does that work? How does God die? Well, he dies because he has a human nature, right? So you can talk about God dying, for example. Or you can say things like, Jesus is omnipotent, right? Or Jesus knows everything. Well, of course, Jesus does know everything according to his human nature. So the exercise in the creed is trying to figure out how we're going to talk about Jesus. Because if you don't talk well about him, my friends are here. You know, here's the thing. She brings you right to the front. Man, what is she doing with you, right? But she's a nice woman. You can, you can trust her. Welcome back. Hey, it's chicken on. Mrs. Shields, she's bringing you chicken on. This is going to be great. It's fried, baked, and two kinds of potatoes. Think about it. She's a nice woman, all right? So um, it's going to be great. All right, so, uh, you know, you can, you can talk about Jesus in all different ways. We want to be careful because we can, it can go wrong so easily. We saw how it can go wrong if you don't let him be all the way human, if you don't let him be all the way God, if you blend him together and make him kind of a third-party alien. No, no, right? He's just like you, or just like Adam, as Roman says, right? The second Adam comes, but he's also just like his father. So part of the exercise of the creed is learning to talk about this one person who has two natures, but also part of the exercise is kind of to rejoice in the practical aspect. And I would suggest to you that if you learned the creed by memory, if you were taught it in confirmation, you probably didn't think about, uh, this is not the first thing that came to mind, which is the creed is very practical, or the creed is trying to teach me how to carry Jesus with me in my life as I go by. But real honestly, that's exactly what's trying to happen. So um, pick up your Bible, turn to Colossians, if you will. So Colossians will be three-eighths of an inch you know, from the right side of your Bible. So grab a, grab a Bible. Let me pause then, and let me warn you know, Big Ten fans in the room that pride goes before a fall, okay? <laughs> Scheitz, Hoffmans, you know, Purdue, Wisconsin, Pastor Nelson, just be careful, you know, just be careful. We're rooting for you, but uh, hopefully it's all going to work out. Everybody from Iowa has to go home and cry, so it's, it's all going to be okay. Good morning, boys. How are you? You know, we should have donuts, right? We'd be a better church if we had donuts. If, if, yeah, that's the thing. It's actually the reason Jesus asked people to type. Mason, you're back and still alive. Congratulations. Welcome. Good to see you. I thought you'd given us up for something else. All right, good. Um, so I'm just at number one then. The creed wants us to confess Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, right? And now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk in ways that may be a little different for you. And partly, um, the reason I'm talking this way is because it's a little more practical. What you have to test to see whether this language works. It's very difficult to talk about God. We know human beings, and so we can imagine a little bit easier what a human being would be like, even a perfect human being, although there is some mystery there. But how to talk about Jesus, and then how Jesus becomes the paradigm, if you will, for life. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul says, right? So we want to imitate Christ, but what does it mean to be Christ on earth? So I give you this first bit, right, that we learn from John 1 that Jesus is the logo in, logos in flesh. 
And now, see, these are words that aren't always common to Lutherans, but at least embrace them, right? So he is the living energy. That's how the Orthodox often talk. He's the mind. That's how the Greeks often talk. He's the purpose of God. Now, that might be the most practical thing for you. If you want to know how the Father thinks about you, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is up to, look at Jesus. That's what the Creed is trying to get you to do. He is the living energy, mind, and purpose of God streaming out of the Holy Trinity in and through and as his second person. See, we hardly know how to talk about this. This is you know, almost like in, with, and under. So it's in Jesus and through Jesus and um, as the second person, assuming flesh, so Jesus has a mommy, right? Jesus has a mommy, and extending, and this is then the key, extending the divine relationship with us. Now, here's the thing. I actually do, like many Lutherans believe, Christology, all theology is Christology, right? So if you want to know about God, start with Christ. We aren't like people who start with the sovereignty of God, that God's almighty. That's not particularly good news because he's almighty and I'm a sinner and when he catches me, he'll crush me. So starting with sovereignty is not particularly good or starting with predestination is difficult because predestination happens in the mind of God and outside time. There's two things I don't understand very well, but here's what I can understand. I can understand how one person rescues another. And you understand it too. And you'll see it on the news tonight. You won't have to wait two days, maybe three, and there will be some instance of somebody going into the water to save somebody else, somebody going into a burning house to save somebody else, somebody you know, pulling somebody out of the way of harm. We understand the notion of rescue, right? And that's what Jesus is meant to do. So if you want to know what God is up to, God means to rescue you, and then he means to include you back into the family or back into the life you were always meant to, to have, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we talked about this technical word, perichoresis, where they, they re, they're each a person, but they're in love with each other, and they um, have this eternal interplay or interpenetration, right? And it's this, from this great word, to dance. So people who have sort of a, a gruffy, kind of old notion of God being sort of cranky, no, no, what's God doing right now? The Eucharist is over. He's dancing. He'll be doing the Eucharist again in another hour. That's, and see, if you think that God is something other, then you've just borrowed a notion of God that's foreign to the scriptures. God is very happy in himself and very happy to have you back, and that's what Jesus is about, right? So the Lord is trying to draw us back into a relationship. You know, he's trying to draw us back into the family, you're part of a family. You know that families are fraught with difficulty. You know that the best possible thing is to have a great family. You know that the worst possible thing is to have a bad family or even to be left out of your family or to be without a family, right? And so, you know, in the Old Testament, for example, in Jesus, too, often talks about how he privileges the orphans. The Psalms are rife with this. People who have been cast out, strangers, widows, people who have been left out with no family, Right? Jesus is all about pulling them in. Why? Because it's an example of pulling them into the Holy Family, into the Holy Trinity. So that's what Jesus is up to. He basically wants you to come home. And he's willing to forgive everything, prodigal son, so that you can become the person that you were always meant to be and be that for eternity. It's a very, very nice story. It's, it's very, even today when Peter sung, I was struck by the fact that he's, you know, he's one of, the, one of my favorite parts of the of the services when you all go still after saying peace be with you. It's very quiet and then Peter sort of intones a, a psalm 
And, you know, there was this very interesting phrase that says something like, um, his judgments are sweet as honey. Do you remember that? Which means, of course, Luther's great insight that God judges for us and not against us. He rules for us. He ju- his judgments are sweet as honey, sweet as the honeycomb in the mouth. It's a beautiful sort of phrase. I mean, that's what God is after. God wants you home. The only thing that can keep you from coming home is you, right? doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what you've done. God wants you home, right? The creed, then, this is point number two, doesn't want us to speculate. It's interesting. Theology is interesting. It's interesting. Philosophy is interesting. It's interesting to sort of play the game out. It's, it's interesting to think about really hard things because then it makes it easier to explain simple things. If you think hard, you can learn to talk about hard things in a simple, clear sort of way. But really, the creed doesn't, isn't trying to get you to speculate. All this stuff we talked about, homoousius, the same substance, the same stuff, the same instance, and how Jesus is eternally generated, what in the world does that mean? I cannot explain to you what only begotten means. I can't tell you what eternally generated means in a philosophical sense, but I can, in just a moment, tell you what it means in a practical sense. In a practical sense, it means that Jesus is happily subordinate and obedient to his heavenly father. It's a remarkable thing because we do not understand in all the areas that we have in life, parents and children, husbands and wives, you know, citizens and and rulers, we don't understand what it is to be happily subordinate, happily responsive and responsible. But in Jesus, we see, you know, Jesus is happiest when he does the will of his father. Right? Right down to going to the cross. Jesus is happiest when he does the will of your Father. So it follows then that you who are baptized into Christ would be happiest when you do the will of your Heavenly Father. Right? So this is the most practical of all things. So look at Colossians, this beautiful text, you know, that that talks about who God is, but then also. So Colossians um, 2 kind of eight and nine, and he's talking about how much he loves him, which is always very nice. Um, so two, one, two. That their hearts, so two, two, that their hearts may be encouraged as they are knit together in love, right? So love knits people together. To have all the riches of assured understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. So apposition. What is God's mystery? God's mystery is Christ. If you want to know what God looks like, look in the face of Jesus, in whom we see the face of God, right? In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. These are deep sort of Greek theological terms, right? Wisdom, knowledge, these are things that people are given to. But watch what happens. Um, Turn the page. So... As verse 6, as you, I'm sorry, you might not have had to turn the page. Sorry, I had to turn the page in my Bible. You don't have my Bible. You have, you have the standard issue Bible. I have my old Bible. It's coming apart. As therefore you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so live in him. Technical term for somebody who's baptized. To be in Christ, to live in him, is to live as the baptized, rooted and built up in him and established. And here it is. Proper noun, not in faith, not in your personal faith, but in the faith, in the creedal faith, 
in the healthy faith of the church. There is, of course, the faith that you have in your heart. Yes, Jesus is for me. But there is this thing called the faith, the creedal faith, right? The faith of the church, what the church confesses already. This isn't an invention. You know, sometimes people think we invented the catechism or we invented the creed. No, no, right? Already, Paul is rife with saying, you should aspire to healthy doctrine. You should hold the faith the things that everybody confesses. It's like 1 Corinthians where Paul says, hey, I speak to you as sensible human beings. You're sophisticated people. We spent time on this in new members. Pay attention to this. The faith. And if you want to be healthy, you'll cling to the faith. And if you want to be sick, then you'll abandon the faith, right? So at the center of that faith is the second person of the Trinity. If you want to know the most possible, if you, the most possible that you can know about God you'll find it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the point of the creed. That this Heavenly Father has a son, and this Heavenly Father comes to you through the Blessed Virgin Mother. That's the point. If you want to know the mystery of God, tend Christ. You still okay? Because this is, this is, is going to then, you know, pay, you'll, you'll always want to do this, right? Rooted in love, built in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, okay? Now watch this. I know it's hard to talk about this, says Paul. See to it that no one makes a prey of you by philosophy or empty deceit. All right, quickly. Just process 21st century America, right? Um, By philosophy um, or empty, empty deceit, right? Just think about the world. Think about what's accepted. Think about what people consider to be bedrock principles, Think about what the world values. Just think about that. It's no different than Paul's time, right? He basically says, you know, you folks will probably be a small part of the world, but it's better than giving yourself over to the world. So, you know, don't don't touch that, right? That's not going to help you very much. Don't let anybody make prey of you, right? This predatory notion that I'll use you for my purposes, so, see to it that no one makes a prey of you by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition. So now you have the two things against each other. You have the mystery of the faith, and you have revealed in Christ, and you have then, um, you have human tradition that changes all the time. According to the elemental spirits of the universe, see now, we talked about angels before, invisible, visible, and invisible, so this is already... You know, this is not good. Don't go down that path. And not according to Christ. And then this. For in him, the whole fullness of deity, right? In him, in this one person, Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. So in one verse, you get two natures in one person, right? And then our possibility is to try to understand that. What's that going to mean, practically speaking, right? And you have come to the fullness of life in him who is the head of all rule and all authority. So that's what you're trying to do. And, you know, everybody pays their money and takes their choice. Um, everybody, everybody, you know, everybody, this is, this is how, there's the way the world works, there's the way the church works, there's the way Jesus works, there's the way the deceitful spirits works. Now, here's the thing. One thing you may have never considered before. There's only three persons, only three persons named in the creed. Jesus, who are the other two? Anybody know? Mary Mary and? 
And Mary is what? She's the mother, and she says, what do you always say to your mother if you're a good daughter? Yes. Yes, exactly right, Shirley. We can work on this later if you want to. Okay, good. This is going to be great. Every day is Mother's Day, right? Yes, see? So Mary, it's interesting that the creed gives you, what, two persons. Mary is the yes, and Pontius Pilate is the no, right? So, I mean, it's just very interesting. The people are actually named, but the two ways. It's like the Didache, right? There are two ways. There's the way of life, and there's the way of death. The, very first, the Didache is a very, probably written in the first hundred years, something zero to a hundred. It explained how pastors and congregations would act and what they would believe. It was basically a manual on pastoral care. The very first line says there are two ways. There is the way of life and there's death. There's the way of Jesus and the way of Satan. There is the way of yes and there is the way of no. I mean, it basically says to you, pick one, Right? So here it is. Um, Jesus is there in Baba. Now I'm actually turning the page, okay? Um, it's this divine for you, you know, that Luther loved so much. So this is just at the top of the page, just above the three, that we are nothing uh, but given to, right? So Jesus tells us the story of his father, and, you know, he, he does that in his words and deeds. And when people see Jesus, when they, then they hear, when they see Jesus doing things and when they hear Jesus talking, there is something remarkable in how Jesus talks, how Jesus acts. There's something divine in that that is attractive. Now, just pause for a second. For all the money that is wasted on the new programs and gimmicks to get people into the church, yeah, I've said this to you before, the number is like 87% of people come into a church because they know somebody. They have a friend who says, you'll really like my church, right? Now, why is that? That's the way, as Luther says, that you're Christ to somebody else, right? You act in love towards somebody else, and they say to you, more please. In the way of Mary, they say, yes, that's what I need. That's why I can't get anywhere else. I can get it in the church. When you come here, right? That's why when you come here, all distinctions are erased, rich and poor, right? Different kinds of folks. Um, People who are powerful and people who are weak. You know, people who have been hurt deeply and people who have kind of skated through life and been fortunate, right? This is the great leveling that we are all in Christ and we're all in it together. This is how we're different from the world. On our two square blocks, I'm not kidding you, on our two square blocks, this is who we are, this is what we do. Why? Because this is who Jesus is. And this is what Jesus does. So we see as Jesus sees, and we speak as Jesus speaks. We do as Jesus does, and life is different. The church is this strange place. I don't know if you've sort of been keeping up on the news. There's this making the rounds, and it's everywhere from Catholics all the way across to evangelicals, this thing called the Benedict Option, which you might think is first the about the new pope, but it's not. It's actually about St. Benedict. And so the Benedict option is, it was even in the New York Times two weeks ago, full, um, my, one of the sections, I mean, full front page, basically about the withdrawal of Christians, right? They've basically given up on the world and saying, we can't take it anymore, it's so hostile, and sort of withdrawing into communities, right? Into, into communi- communities of hermits or communities of, of people together, right? You know, I just... Um, I wrote John Kleinig this week. We traded a couple of emails. And, you know, they're going through some difficult stuff. And I sort of wrote, said, I'm praying for you, this and that. And he said, um, 
He said, in these late years, I've taken to be, I've taken, I, I take my, my cue from St. Augustine, who wrote the city of God as the barbarians raised the Roman Empire around him, right? I mean, Augustine could hear the barbarians crashing the gate as he laid on his bed to die, but he'd written the city of God where he described what it would be like for heaven, what heaven would be like, and then what it would be like for heaven to have its way with earth, but then also for the earth to be destroyed, right? So in some ways, it's not our business, and I've said this to you so often. It's not your business to try to um, put the fix in, right, and bring the kingdom of God in, in the way that people think about it in terms of power and force. The kingdom of God is the forgiveness of sins, and the forgiveness of sins is learned on the cross. And the cross is about a loser who dies, and then about a God who resurrects him. That's your life. You're meant to live in forgiveness. You're meant to live in love. You're meant to live in love even if it kills you. And you're meant to go forward with the notion that you'll be resurrected. And the only thing that matters is if God is pleased with you. Right? That's the only thing that matters. And that's a big palette because it spins right back around to being generous, loving people, being just with people. Your justices, it was a very interesting phrasing today in that psalm. The first line goes, your justices, plural, as in the way you judge things, that's a sweet thing. So you should say to yourself, it's good to have justice for people. You should say to yourself, it's good to be merciful to people. It's good to be for people. That's how Jesus talks. And it might kill you, right? And so you say, well, then that's not the end of my story. My story is, you know, the, the, the time that you'll be here, 60, 70, 80 years, that's a pretty short time. The most important thing is to do, say, talk, live, love the way Jesus does. That's the point of the creed. You still okay? So Jesus comes, and he's just weird, right? He tells these stories about the Father, and he tells stories about himself, and he makes these extravagant claims we heard a couple of weeks ago. The kingdom of God is at hand. He says things like, the kingdom of God is here, which is to say heaven is here. In, in the Greek, it means like it's right here, like right next to you, like in the chair right next to you. It's right here. In Luke, he extends it, and he says so the kingdom of God is even inside you, and you say to yourself, how can that happen? And at least two of the answers are in the Holy Eucharist and in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is inside you, or he does this weird thing where he calls Jesus Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa, right? He has this relationship with the source of the universe, the person in charge, the creator, and he calls him Papa. And, of course, the benefit for you is that Jesus takes you as his brother and gives you God as your father too, right? Or, um, and it's, it's quite confusing the way the woman at the well was in John 6 this morning. It's quite confusing. Who, sh- who am I dealing with here? Who is this guy? Give me this water. Where do you get that? How is that done? And Jesus then leaves. And then um, occasionally, and you'll hear this now, and you, can, you, know, you don't have to tuck away too many proofs for this because people aren't con- are always convinced by proofs, but occasionally, you know, about every couple of years, you get the notion that Jesus didn't really believe he was God, or the other side is that his followers didn't really believe he was God. This very interesting note that the first martyr, Stephen, right? So um, the, the Christians are getting too popular in Jerusalem. Remember, they stoned Stephen to death. And when he dies, he doesn't say, Heavenly Father, receive my spirit. He says, Lord Jesus Christ, receive my spirit. You remember, he looks up, he sees heaven opened. 
He's the first martyr of the church. Martyr means he's martyr means witness. So he gives this great witness. He gives a witness. He looks up and he says, Jesus received my spirit. That's either a totally idolatrous claim if Jesus is only human. It's, the, it's, 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 it's rank heresy if Jesus is only human. If Jesus is divine, it's the truest thing that was ever spoken. That God has enfleshed himself in our presence. We're so bad at being human beings that God himself would come in flesh and blood and show us what it means to be fully human, right? There's a great grace in that. And so um, it's startling then, and I'm I'm kind of at point four, where he says there's this two ways, um, the way of Mary and the way of Pontius Pilate. Um, I don't know. I don't always know what you know, right? So this notion, we've talked about this before, but I don't know how thoroughly we've talked about it. This notion of Mary's, what's called Mary's fiat, right? This, this word in Latin that says, let it be to me according to your will. You remember this at Christmas time, Mary comes? I mean, maybe we should, maybe we should poke around at that. Look in, turn, turn your Bible. Go left in your Bible to Luke, Right? You know this story about how, it's Luke 1, I think. Um, you remember this story about how the angel Gabriel comes? And now that you've studied your angel a little bit, you know that he's the one that always, that often, not always, that often brings messages, right? And so the angel comes, much as um, Jesus comes to you, right? right? First the angel to, to, to Mary, but then this is how it often comes to you. Right, um, one twenty-six. We read this at Christmas time. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, "Hail, O favored one! The Lord is with you." And she was greatly troubled. So she's frightened, as normally happens with angels. Right? She's greatly troubled. And considered in her mind what in the world the angel is saying. Like, what's, why, you know, why is an angel talking to me? I mean, you can imagine how startling this would be. And the angel said, no phobos, don't be, afraid, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. Now, you can't think of this as oppression. You think of this as gift. Mary could have, of course, said no, right? And then the story would be different. But, uh, you know, and he gives him, he'll be great, he'll be called Son of the Most High, the Lord will give him a throne, he'll reign over Jacob, his kingdom will have no end. Mary says, how can I do this? I don't have a husband. The angel says, well, the Holy Spirit, of course. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, right? And so this notion of Mary being (laughs) pregnant through her ear with Gabriel's words, right? And sometimes in old churches, Gunter showed me a couple of these once that he'd, he'd brought, sometimes you see in old stonework or old paintings, you see the angel talking, and you see rays of light, sometimes from his mouth and sometimes from above. Or, but on that ray of light is a bird, the dove, the Holy Spirit. And it's, in some, it's either enveloping Mary or hitting her in the ear or hitting her on the face. But in any case, it is this by the miracle of the Holy Spirit coming upon her and making her pregnant. So Luther's great thing that Mary gets pregnant through her ear, right? And so the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The power of the Most High overshadows you. The child will be born, and it will be called holy. 
And Elizabeth's pregnant too, by the way. And then the great text, 37, for God, with God, nothing is impossible, which is something you should tuck away. You know, you, you'll need about, about 20 words to live by. You know, if you could just live by, with God, nothing is impossible, and then Mary at the wedding in Cana, do whatever he tells you, you'd probably be just fine for pretty much all of your life. With God, nothing is impossible. And Mary said, behold, I'm a servant. Right? I'm the handmaid of the Lord. I'm, now, just, you just have to kind of think about what this means because this is what we hate most. The first sin is to say, I'm God and you're not. The first sin is to say, I'm a better God than God. The first sin is to say, I'm a master and not a servant. Right? The first sin is to say, I'm captain of my own shi- ship. I'm master of my own fate. I'm in charge. That's the first sin. There's only one sin. That's it. That's the sin of pride. It's the sin of upside-downness. It's the sin of displacing God. It's the sin of idolatry. It's all the same sin. It's basically this simple. No. Right? No. So, but Mary, hey, I'm a servant. Behold, I'm the servant. I'm the handmaid of the Lord. Fiat. Let it be to me according to your word, which, of course, is loaded um, for two reasons. One... These are the words that God spoke at creation. Fiat is let there be, or let exist. So what you're supposed to see in this text is that it's the big do-over. As God spoke at creation, let there be, right? And everything was perfect. When God speaks again through the angel, what you're supposed to see is, hey, we're going to get it right this time around. And of course, where Adam said no... Mary says yes. Where Eve said no, Mary said yes. Where Adam said no, Jesus says yes, right? So this notion of the fiat, I let it be, or this is the way it is, or I'm happy for this, or I'll take it, or I'm a servant, which, of course, describes the whole Christian life. So um, with that, Mary sets this whole thing in order. You still okay? Now, of course, this is your life reduced to one word. And it's all, it's all, you know, your life is reduced to the life of Mary. You know, Mary has been, um, in some ways, you know, yes, of course, exploded in ways that are not beneficial to the church. When she becomes a co-redemptrix, for example, that she works out your salvation the way that Jesus does. Yes, of course, it can go wrong because we can ruin everything. But, the, you know, that's not our problem as Lutherans. You know, our problem is that we don't esteem her highly enough, that we don't take this woman as, you know, the mother of God, as uh, the great servant of the church, right? The story would have been quite different if she'd have said, like Pontius Pilate, no. But that she can say, thank you very much, right? That she can overcome her fear and that she can live in obedience and not be prideful, but to be receiving of the gift that's being given to her. And then to live that out in faithfulness, last one standing at the cross, right? Women, first one to go at Easter. There's a very interesting play on how this works out, including her saying, you know, a double entendre, let it be to me, what? According to your word, big W or small w? In the beginning was the word, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, Right? And, of course, these two things can't be pulled apart, the big W and the small W. By the small words of the angel, 
the big W word from eternity, ever generated, ever loving, ever giving, suddenly assumes a human nature. So with Athanasius, what God, what, what he doesn't assume, he doesn't save. He assumes your flesh, so your flesh is saved. He assumes you, if you will, and you get saved. This is a remarkable kind of story. The other story that I do want to talk to you just a little bit about is the wedding in Cana. You remember how this story goes in John 2. They go to the wedding. They run out of wine. Mary comes and says, could you? Jesus says, hold on. And then Mary turns to the servants five verses into the story. She's not offended by this at all, that she comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, it's not my time, which means basically this is not now not between you and me. This is between me and my heavenly Father because it's the Father who gives him the time to act. And then in verse 5, she says, you know, the very simple words that every Christian should live by, do whatever he tells you. So in those two pieces, you see the creed, when, they, when the creed highlights Mary, what the creed is highlighting is the Christian life, the proper Christian response, the proper, proper Christian confession, the proper Christian um, way of moving through things. I mean, how does this work? The Lord says, would you please? And you, said, of, you say, of course, I'm your servant. And then to other people who might be in doubt, you say, of course, we're God's servants, right? Whatever he says, do whatever he tells you. I mean, it's my favorite text for a wedding. Because it's the, I mean, it's not just for a wedding, but it's for all of life. Do whatever he tells you. Four or five words, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you, right? And so you get the same chance that Mary gets. When the creed is spoken out, when everybody around you says, this is what we believe, when you hear the gospel, when you receive the Eucharist, when you bring your children to baptism, when you're baptized, these are all, what's happening to you is in some sense the same thing that happens to Mary, which is the Lord approaches you to touch you. The Lord touches you, the Lord gives his gifts, and he says to you, now what would you do with that, right? And and Mary says, I'll have it all, you know, full force, because I'm your servant. This is the very difficult thing for us. You know, this is why when all the things we talk about, about Christ and Scripture and prayer, going to the Eucharist every week and tithing in alms and mercy and giving a good witness, you know, which can all be boiled down to loving God and serving your neighbor. This is the, see, when this comes to us, it yearns for us to say what Mary says, which is, yes, thank you very much. Which, of course, is Luther's great insight, right? That we're nothing but given to, that we live by the gifts, that... The Lord ever generates love, which ever generates action, which is always for us. And it's right before you. It's right around you. In fact, it actually touches you. It's put on you and over you and in you. The kingdom of God is in your midst. It's kingdom of God is within you, right? And it just yearns for you to say what Mary says. Yes. So every week you come and you say this. Every week you come and you say this. You, in the creed, you say your yes to the tender mercies that God bestows on you. That's what this is about, right? Um, turn the page, if you would. So this great quote from uh, Rowan Williams. <clears throat> Jesus, to put it crudely, isn't God just when he's being strong and in control, which is how we like our gods, Right? We like our God strong and in control. Jesus, to put it coolly, isn't being God when he's just strong and in control. He's God when he speaks lovingly to God the Father. And now think about it this way. When he submerges 
what is human nature fears. So, you know, Jesus is afraid of the cross in, in some ways. I mean, he sweats blood over this. And now, see, immediately you have to see this is a paradigm for your life where you submerge what you fear or what you long for in your love for the Father. This is not unlike when I said to you, although I don't know if I said it to you or where I said it because I can't remember what I said. I'm old now. But when you come to the, you know, what do you do when you, what do you do when you come to the Eucharist? You stuff your sins into the chalice, right? You submerge your sins in the chalice. That's what you do. They drowned in the chalice in the way that your sins drowned in the water at baptism. So Jesus submerges his fear in the love of the Father. If you take the life of Jesus as a whole, you're prompted to think of God's love as both, and here it is, a giving and a receiving. So just between Jesus and the Father, this is what it is. The Father gives and Jesus receives. Jesus gives and the Father receives. A flowing out and a reflecting back, an initiative and a depending. This is the relationship between the Father and the Son. Guess what? This is also going to be the relationship between the Heavenly Father and you, God's children. A giving and a giving back. A receiving and a response. Again, very early on, the New Testament writers begin struggling with this notion of a God whose life was not that of a heavenly individual on his own, but a life of relationship. This is, I think, something that we miss. It's not as if, and partly maybe we get it because we live in Wheaton and Loy. It's, like, it's not like God sets you up like toy soldiers, right? And you're all just kind of on your own to fight the battles of the world. That's the, that's the, the horrible heresy of living in this area. That your faith is not just personal but private. It's just you against the world. It was never meant to be that way. Your relationship, this is why when people say things like, you know, I'm a Christian but I don't go to church. You know, I just want to say, yeah, you're probably not a Christian, or if you are, you're the bare minimumest Christian we've ever seen. Because why? It's not like you're just all on your own like silos in a cornfield in Iowa, right? No, no. The, the church mimics the Trinity. The Trinity is always in relationship. Jesus is never out there by himself. The Heavenly Father is always for him. Jesus is always in response. It is finished is even his last response to his Heavenly Father, who would rather... Let him die than hold your sins against you. Jesus would rather die than hold your sins against you, right? There's nothing about that that is private and personal and alone. Everything is always in relationship. You have to be in a church. This is what the Holy Trinity looks like. You know, all this stuff about staying home and I'm worshiping on the golf course and this and that and blah. Forget it. You know why? Because you're messy. People are messy. And people who don't want to be here don't want to be here because you're messy. Guess what? They're messy too. Part of the reason Jesus comes is to not just clean you up, but to clean the relationship up. You're one body, one church. Read 1 Corinthians. You know, some of you are big toes. You know, you might be an elbow, Mrs. Hecht. Your husband, he's a nice nose. But, you know, here's the thing. Everybody is different, right? So Jesus turned toward the world is God's wisdom and power and action. But Jesus turned toward the Father is the embodiment of a sort of divine response to divine generosity. The son turned toward the father. So the father says to the son, would you please? And the son said, I would love to. And the father says, this is going to be exceedingly difficult. And the, fa- and the son says, I'm on my way, right? So it's one thing to have the son turn toward you. And we understand that pretty well. We preach that all the time. What God means to you and what God's love means to you. 
But you should also think about it the other way, how the Son is turned toward the Father. The life of God is not only the outpouring gift. It's a life in which our own response of selfless gratitude and response is also foreshadowed forever. Right? This is what it is to be in his image, that you're turned not just toward God, but you're turned toward each other in the church. Jesus is divine responding. Right? So Jesus is divine responding. He's constantly responding. Jesus is divine responding, embodied in our nature and our world. He responds freely and totally to the gift of the Father. And that response is no less defined than the gift, a perfect response that is both human and more than human, if you will, a perfect response in two natures, a perfect response that is human and also divine, right? Last thing, and I really can do this in three minutes, just kind of keep going here. This is the point. Jesus changes what is possible for human beings. You can be a different person. This is, this is probably the big point for the world. Enough about you. The big point for the world is, you know, why should, you, why should people come to church? Why should people believe in Jesus beyond having their sins forgiven? Because the forgiveness of sins flourishes, and Jesus opens new possibilities for what it is to be human. His life changes what is possible for human beings. Our lives become lives of receiving and giving and receiving and more giving. And suddenly, subordination, or being the Lord's handmaid, or service looks different. The very words that we hate are at the heart of what it means to be Christian, which is to love God and serve your neighbor, to be just and merciful, to turn the other cheek, expect nothing in return, do good to those that hate you, right? What is alive and at work in Jesus is the first and unique product of the divine life generated by unconditional love quite apart from the existence of the world. So God loves you for no good reason. And the relationship of that unique reality to God the Father is not only like that of a child to a parent. This is great. It is like that of one flame to another from which it has been lit, a favorite image for the early Christians and a very good one still. Light from one candle. I'm sorry, light one candle from another and you don't have any less of the first flame, and you do have a flame as bright and hot as the first. Light from light. The Father, the source, gives all he is and all he has into the heart of this overflowing product, this generated reality. So the Father gives it into the Son, and the Son touches you. The Son truly shares the living flame of God's nature with no qualification or lessening. He is one substance with the Father. He's one substance with the Father in you at the Holy Eucharist, on you at Holy Baptism, in your ear at Holy Absolution, right? Clear to the bottom of the page. So, divine love is obedience, is blessing, is discipline, is gift, is sanctified life, is illumined, is in spirit, is alive, is good, is divine communion, is gospel, is not law, is Holy Eucharist, is divine love. Big finish. That's all I got. We got to go to church. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. Sign up for stuff, do stuff, whatever the shields say, do that. Come to church on Wednesday for prayers. Thanks.